Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome back into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and today you're listening on the Believe Network. Now, I'm sorry, I did miss last week's podcast, and last week's podcast would have been pretty good and pretty helpful leading into the last week of the Mutua Madrid Open. However, my sister was in town, I got busy, work got busy, and we actually went and saw, did some sightseeing and stuff around where I live now in Missouri. So unfortunately, I didn't get a pod out last week. It was a busy week, but that gives us even more to talk about this week. And this week, legit, the only thing we're going to talk about is Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz, an unbelievable week. Now, I know some people don't like the. I just read Matthew McConaughey's book. Some people don't like the word unbelievable. However, it is hard to believe what he did during his time in Madrid. He did things that players have never done before, that teenagers had never done before, and he is planting his name in the record books. Now, before I get too far into that, I just want to go through the bracket and who all was in there. Now, we're going to talk about other things in this podcast, not just Carlos Alcaraz, but this bracket was stacked. You look at the top seeds in this bracket in Madrid. It goes Djokovic, Zverev, Nadal, Tsitsipas, Kasper Ruud, Andre Rublev, Carlos Alcaraz is a seventh seed, then it goes FAA, Cam Nori, and then you get down to like Sinner, right? So massive names in this tournament. I don't know, Matteo Berrettini obviously not in it, Daniil Medvedev obviously obviously not in it, those guys are hurt, they're coming back from injury, we'll get to that a little bit later in this podcast, but massive names in this tournament. Carlos Alcaraz gets drawn to the same side as Rafael Nadal, so he ends up having to play Rafael Nadal in the quarterfinals, and that's after he beats Cam Nori and Bashlashvili, so he beats Bashlashvili, he beats, he beats, uh, Cam Nori, then he plays right into Rafa. He beats Rafa in a three-set match. He lo- he wins set one, gets crushed in set two, and then wins 6-3 in the third set. To beat Rafael Nadal, he, he becomes the first teenager to ever beat Rafael Nadal on clay. Now, I believe this was the third time that he had played Rafael Nadal, and so he finally wins. And that was that was a big moment in tennis, really, because it, he was his idol growing up. Carlos Alcaraz, he's very vocal about that. He he idolized Rafael Nadal, and he wanted to be like Rafa. And for him to come out and clay, and he plays like Rafa. He, has this, he does a lot of the same things that Rafa does. So for him to come out on clay and beat Rafael Nadal, both in their home country of Spain and Madrid, was a great feat for this guy. I mean... The way he played in that match, a very heavyweight-driven match on clay. I remember last year with the French Open and Djokovic and Nadal had a very heavyweight-type match. That was kind of the way that this match was, right? Two heavy hitters. They don't give up very easy, and he wins. Um, I, I, I thought it was an incredible, an incredible win for Alcaraz. But more importantly, another thing you have to remember is... Rafael Nadal is coming off the, those injuries. He had the foot injury, comes back, wins the Australian Open, and then he had his rib injury that kept him out of some tournaments. So although this is a massive win for Carlos Alcaraz, um, I think the bigger the bigger picture for Nadal is definitely what's going to happen in Paris. So although a devastating loss for him probably, he didn't want to leave this tournament early as a three seed, there's bigger things ahead for Rafael Nadal, and I think he realizes that. But you can't take anything away 
from how Carlos Alcaraz played. Carlos Alcaraz had an incredible, incredible match. And just after that match, he beats Nadal, and then he has to go play Novak Djokovic in the semifinals. Once again, a very heavyweight match in that one. And him and Djokovic go to a tiebreaker in the first set. He loses. He wins 7-5. Alcaraz wins 7-5 in the second set. And then he wins in a tiebreaker in the third. He becomes the first player to ever beat Nadal and then Djokovic in consecutive matches on clay. He's 19 years old. He's 19 years old. What else he does, he is the youngest player to defeat a world number one in 17 years at age of 19. I mean, that that is insane. The way that Carlos Alcaraz is playing right now is insane. And I believe, I told you a couple weeks ago, he is much CTV. He is much CTV. There's no way that you you can watch tennis right now and not want to watch Carlos Alcaraz play. He he plays with a power, he plays with a fire, he plays with a passion, and he just makes shots. He is literally a younger version of Rafael Nadal. Now you think Rafael Nadal is fun to watch right now? Remember him back when he was, you know, 22 years old, 20 years old? That's what Carlos Alcaraz is. And for somebody outside the big 3 to be that demanding for for tickets and that demanding for people to want to come see is it's hard to put into words what that is for the sport because it's been the big three or the big four, rather, for such a long time. So he beats the number three seed. He beats the number one seed. Who's next? He goes on to play Alexander Zverev in the final, which is a little controversial, and I'll get to that in a second. But he beats Alexander Zverev, and he wins the Masters 1000 event that's in Madrid. What I mean, a week out of dreams. I think I tweeted that the other day. What a week for Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, you can't even paint a better week than that. To beat the number three player in the world, the king of clay, beat the number one player in the world, the best player in the world right now, and then go on and beat Alexander Sferov, who is always a solid player, the number two seed. I mean, he beat three, one, and two to win this tournament. Players dream of doing things like that. And Carlos Alcaraz, at age of 19, did that. He is that guy. He is that good. Carlos Alcaraz. I know I've told you names to remember and really follow moving forward, but Carlos Alcaraz, I shouldn't even have to tell you that because you should know that he is must see TV. He is must watch tennis. And he right now, even Zverev said it in his post game presser or on the court. He said, I think you're the best player in the world right now. And I don't think he's wrong. Carlos Alcaraz, the level that he's playing at is incredible. Now, with those wins, Carlos Alcaraz is the youngest player to, well, it says the youngest players, which he is the youngest player, to earn three top five wins in the same event since 1990. He did that at 19 and uh, at this tournament. Djokovic did that at age 20 in two months in the 2007 Montreal tournament. Pete Sampras has done it. Andre Agassi has done it at 20 years old. And Leighton Hewitt. So he's he's up there with some pretty, pretty good uh, company on that list. And with this win and with this tournament, Carlos Alcaraz will move up to number six in the ATP rankings on Monday this week. And he is he last year at this time, he was ranked 120 in the world. And now he's number six in the world. Alexander Zverev said, I thought he'd be, you know, top 10 in the world by Acapulco in 2023. He goes, I was off by a year. The way that this guy has played this year has been a movie to watch. And for him to be this good, this consistent, and moving at the rate that he is up the rankings, great for tennis, I think. And also, just great to see somebody that young actually have solid success. I think there's a lot of players that have a lot of potential, but he's living up to it at such a young age. And we're hoping that he can ride it out and be a lot like you know the guys 
that are ahead of him that he just beat. Djokovic, Nadal, uh, you know, the Roger Federer, something like that. And I think a lot of people think that he could be that. Uh, this this is something I said I would get to. Alexander Sferov actually ripping the ATP after, which kind of bold considering everything he's done to the ATP this year. Anyway, him ripping the ATP after the finals match. He, he wasted no time. He pretty much said it in his opening statement. But he said he got no sleep. Uh, the last two days, he went to bed at 4 and 4.30 in the morning. Uh, yesterday, he went to bed, or the day before the final, he went to bed at 5.20 in the morning. So for them, to, he's just complaining about the match times and when, when he has to go to bed because I think he played a lot of night matches, which went late, and then, you know, you have to recover and do all that stuff and eat and everything you have to do after a match, and then it's just so late at night. So I think that's what he was complaining about. Did it probably affect the final? Probably, but Carlos Alcaraz is playing so well anyway. He's, I don't I don't know if he's necessarily saying he would beat Alcaraz. I think he's just complaining that this is the schedule that he had to be on, and it took a toll on his body. But this is how some of these small tournaments work, and I'm not saying this is a small tournament by, tournament by any means. It's in Madrid. It's a Masters 1000 event, but it's not, it's not a main draw of a Grand Slam or a major. So unfortunately, sometimes this is how things go down and that's what happens uh some other surprises out of this tournament Stefano Tsitsipas he beats Andre Rublev I thought Rublev would you know really make a push for something here I think another big win in this tournament was also uh FAA Felix Ogier-Aliassime beating Yannick Sinner Yannick Sinner obviously a big name and people and somebody that you know guys follow a lot that's really good I, although FAA is ranked above Sinner FAA just can't get over the hump. He loses to Sverev in the next round, and I think that's a great win for FAA. If he if he wants to make a big push somewhere, he's got to consistently beat those guys in the top 10 like Yannick Sinner. So surprising to me, shouldn't be surprising to people that just follow rankings, but I, I don't just follow rankings. I think there's a lot more to the game than just rankings. Other than the Alcaraz upsets, this tournament pretty much went as planned. A lot of good guys make it far. They lose to guys they should. Um other than, obviously, Carlos Alcaraz. I'm done talking about this tournament. You guys done talking about it with me? I just talked about it for a while, but Carlos Alcaraz, I mean, he, he's hard not to talk a bunch about because of how special his year has been and how special of a player he is. And I'm going to continue to talk about him on this podcast probably a lot in the next coming weeks and months because he's going to keep doing special things. I don't believe he's playing in Rome. He took some time off. He's taken some time off. He said his ankle was bothering him a little bit, and he's going to get ready to go play at the French Open. But I think all eyes are going to be on him at the French Open, and don't be surprised if you see him in Philippe Chaturier as uh, a center court person to watch on some of these night matches, and they're going to fill the crowd for sure. Let's move on. Uh, Daniil Medvedev, he's playing in Geneva in the Geneva Open. That's a 250 event. He had a uh, hernia, if you remember correctly. So he's returning to tennis. Great to see him back returning to the sport that uh, he's so good at. And he could get back up to number one. This is an interesting thing. We're going to go through the rankings later. But it says that Djokovic needs to at least get the semifinals in Rome to retain the number one ranking in the top seat of the French Open. If he doesn't, it will go to Medvedev, who returns next week in Geneva, this tweet says from Ben Rothenberg. And then he said Medvedev would be the first non-big four number one seed at a slam since 2004 at the Australian Open, which was Andy Roddick. So this could be a big week for a new number one to be a new number one at the French Open. And Kind of a tough bounce because you'd be the number one at the French Open, turn around and can't play at Wimbledon because of everything that's going on in Russia. Haven't heard really much more about that, and I'll keep you updated when I do hear more about it. Uh, Dominic Team he leaves the top 100. 
Uh, Dominic Team is no longer in the top 100. Obviously, he got hurt, and he's not playing in many tournaments, and he's not getting a lot of his points. So he leaves the top 100 for the first time since March of 2014. It's a long road back, but I think he's got it in him. Uh, Holger Rude, more news. I'm just going through a lot of news that happened during the two weeks that we were out. Um, he has a big goal to be number one in the world. Well, he got a little closer to it as he won an ATP 250 event in Munich, Germany. So a great win. It's his, it's his first ATP title, his first ATP final. And for him to get in there and win that tournament, he actually backed out of the Mutual Madrid Open, the one that Alcaraz just won right after winning this tournament. But a step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. And that's exactly what Holger Rune did. There were some decent names in this. Uh, yeah, there was massive names in this. Rune actually beat Alexander Zverev in the round of 16 at this tournament. And then he has to go on and he had to beat uh, Van de Zansculpt, who actually is playing really good tennis. And he had to beat him in the final. So to win a 250 event for Holger Rune, obviously I think Alexander Zverev plays in this tournament because it's his home country. But Holger Rune, he said that he's hoping to be number one in the world at some point. And there's only one way to get there, win these type of titles. And that's exactly what he did, getting a first title under his belt at the very young age of 19 years old. It's hard to compare him to Alcaraz just because Alcaraz is physically and it looks mentally on another level than Holger Rune is. But he gets his maiden title in Munich. It's a clay court tournament, and it's I'm looking forward to seeing him at the French Open. Hopefully he makes it and he gets a wild card or he gets uh, he gets in through qualies and then he can play. But Entertaining guy to watch, and I, I enjoy watching him. Good for Holger Rune to finally get a title. Going down the list, a few other announcements or information that I got to get through in this podcast. Uh, Gilles Simon will retire at the end of the year, and so will uh, Kevin Anderson also announced his retirement. So two players getting out. Uh, it's hard to think of retirements right now because uh, of Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer playing so late into their 30s and Federer even being 40 and still playing at a high level. But these bodies still are breaking down of all the athletes. Not everybody can be the big three. So this will be the third retirement that I've heard of over the last month. Uh, Songo will retire after the French Open. But these players, they are heading out and they, and they are retiring. Last thing real quick, as Rafael Nadal moves on and starts playing in Rome, he says that they asked him if he had any confidence coming off his great start of 2022, and he replied and said, no, when you have six, week with, six weeks without touching a racket and without having a chance to move your body, my body is like an old machine. Uh, to put this machine at it again, it already, uh, it, it just takes some time. And so he says he's not carrying any of that momentum, any of that confidence, which is a bummer for him and a bad time to really have an injury. But Rafael Nadal says he's pretty much starting at scratch when it comes to tennis the rest of 2022 after only having one loss through the first like four months of 2022 or something like that. So I don't know what that means because Novak or not Novak Nadal always wins anyway. And he has a great, he's a great competitive fire and he can play really, really well. So I don't look too far into this, but it's definitely something to think about when you see him out here losing to guys like, you know, Carlos Alcaraz and other guys are having tight matches. Um, you know, these guys are human too and don't necessarily win every match by just showing up. So interesting to see, hear the human part of Rafael Nadal, but uh, also a reassuring to, you know, hear that these guys have problems too and their confidence isn't always there. Uh, let's look at the top rankings right now. Like I already explained the Medvedev and Djokovic thing to you. So that's at the top. Novak's one. Daniil Medvedev is two. 
Uh, at number three is Alexander Sferov. Nadal is four. Sitsipas is five. Carlos Alcaraz goes up three spots. He's at six. Rublev is at seven. Matteo Berrettini is at eight for now. He's also hurt. FAA is at nine. And Casper Ruud is at 10. So it'll be interesting to see where those move for the rest of the year. Uh, but it seems like that's kind of the crew. Cam Nori at 11, Hubie Hercotch at 12, and the Annex Center at 13. It seems like the top 13 are just kind of interchangeable. So that'll be interesting to watch, and it's definitely, definitely something to keep an eye on as we move forward. Doesn't mean a whole lot right now, but it will towards the end of the year when we get to the the, the Nito ATP finals. So appreciate you listening. Appreciate you hanging in there with me. I'm sorry I didn't podcast last week, but we got a lot of good stuff in this week. Keep an eye on Carlos Alcaraz as we move forward. He's not going to be in Rome, but Paris is just right around the corner at the end of this May month. So it's going to be very, very entertaining to watch and gearing up for a great clay court tournament in Roland Garros. I appreciate you listening. Have a great rest of your week. We are going to have another pod next week, I promise. So stay tuned for that because who knows what's going to happen in Rome this week. There's already some wild stuff going on. Appreciate you. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.